0: This week on the Saber.com podcast, we look ahead to the Virginia Boston College football game, talk about the start of Virginia basketball season and the games ahead, and in the music segment,
1: Grammy nominations and snubs. Let's go. The online source for the serious Wahoo fan, the Saber.com. All right, we are chomping at the bit to uh, talk UVA sports. Even though there was no football game, plenty to talk about in the wake of. Florida State, another debacle down there in uh, the Sunshine State for them, and unfortunately they couldn't get the news relayed to UVA in time, so they were down there and made the trip just like Clemson did the week before, so we'll get into that. We'll definitely talk a lot of hoops as we've got two full games on the docket so far at that uh, tournament up in Connecticut for the Hoos, of course, one big win and uh, one not so big. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> loss. Uh, it's early. And uh, we'll talk about all of that coming up and we'll even talk some Grammy nominations and snubs. The Grammy nominations came out last week. That'll be our musical segment as we turn the tables later on in the saber.com podcast. Jeff Swetman, your host joined by Chris Wright and Chris Horn. And gentlemen, what do you make first of all of the situation with Florida State uh, and the football team?
0: I mean, frustrating frustrating if you're a team member or a player or a coach or whatever, because you traveled all the way to Florida on a plane in a pandemic <laughs> and then didn't play and they had to re-scramble the schedules to fly back. So other than getting a little bit of time by the pool, um, we're told by players during the weekly media stuff that because they had to wait around for the return flight, they did get to sit by the pool together. But other than that, like there was no benefit to what happened? And they didn't leave until late Friday night trying to wait for Florida State to get its results. So part of this is on the ACC and its protocols and timetables and all that sort of thing to where, where it was even possible that this could happen. Ideally, you would get the, the results by, say, Friday evening, you know, five, six, seven o'clock. So you could fly out a little bit later th- than you normally would, but still like not fly and wait till Saturday morning and, and coach Mendenhall. So that's been kind of a regular thing in some of these road games that they don't really know until Saturday morning. Yeah. I, w- I would think frustrating for sure just because of what it involved and, and that doesn't even get into the finances and all of that kind of stuff with all these <laughs> athletic departments, bleeding, bleeding money uh, without the tournament, without there's that and the other ticket sales and whatnot. So yeah, I would think frustrating for everyone
1: involved. Yeah, Chris Torn, what do you think? I thought uh, Dabo Sweeney the week before it said, or somebody said Clemson spent like $300,000 to get down. I think they took buses. So maybe that was a little bit different expense for them. But man, yeah, it's it's not a cheap thing to uh, to cover all the hotels and, and the whole deal to get down there, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it, with Clemson, it was kind of a little bit different deal because it was a Clemson player that right. got the news. But either way, I think for Florida State, it's just not a good look to have that happen to you like two weeks in a row and then you know I thought clearly Bronco Mendenhall and I think understandably so with all that we know that UVA goes through on a daily basis from back back to the summer with what they've done just to play play in these games you know to have something like that like I think his point was that the ACC policy should be that you have to have all of your information in by Friday night And you would think that's kind of a common sense thing to have in place. And I think I definitely understand his frustration with, again, all that his team, you know, his team did that. And they are willing to go kind of above and beyond. And, you know, so so situations like this don't happen. Um, And then to have something like that happen is just kind of like very frustrating. I think, yeah, this is a, you know, fortunately, this UVA team is extremely, I mean, I think the culture certainly speaks for itself this year, just what the players have been so steadfast and determined throughout the entire year i'm sure there's been frustration but you know i'm just extremely impressed by how they've handled things and they appear to be handling this very well but again you know this these protocols have been going on since the summer so i imagine just doing it week in and week out week out is just another kind of frustrating thing to, to go through and then you know conversely though this week should you know knock on wood should happen my boston college has not had any positive uh, covid uh, tests in the entire football department, which is uh, obviously saying a lot. So you know, with this and then Virginia Tech uh, still left, I think there's plenty for the players to get excited about excited about um, for the rest of the year.
1: Well, so now you've got a situation where Florida State with the protocols and the quarantining and everything, they're not they've already announced they're not going to be able to play the game against Duke. So it then becomes an issue, are we going to make any of those three games up for Florida State's sake? you know, Clemson's obviously in the national title discussion, UVA. I don't know. Do you take it or leave it? I mean, there's the TV money that's on the table. I'm I'm sure they're going to try their best to get a game in just for TV, if nothing else, but you're kind of running out of weeks here before the, the ACC championship game. Have you guys heard anything in regards to, to making yeah. up?
0: Yeah. Virginia is going to, Virginia is going to leave it <laughs> unless the ACC makes them. <laughs> Coach Mendenhall said directly, I have no interest in going back to Tallahassee.
1: Is there any chance they would come here though?
0: I guess maybe, but I can't see an appetite for playing a meaningless football game December the nineteenth in the state of Virginia. Yeah. I just don't don't see that. So the Clemson Florida State game is interesting because of tiebreakers, but I think Clemson would own the tiebreakers anyway if they were eight and one and Miami was nine and one. Yeah, I think they still own the tiebreakers because it's something to do with head to head, I think, and they beat Miami head to head. So it doesn't really matter from that standpoint unless other things happen, you know, to cascade down to change everybody's records or something yeah I just don't I don't see any reason to make it up right Mm -hmm. play play the last two if there is a bowl season decide if whatever bowl is possible is worth it but for now just yeah try try to finish six and four should be the goal
1: well then Chris Horn the conspiracy theorists will come out I'm sure the woodwork can say well wait a second Florida State just did they wanted to punt on the whole you know these last three games they didn't want to play them anyway so they kind of got got away with it a little bit didn't they with uh because Clemson's medical people and I think the ACC medical people signed off on that game uh, the week before, and mm-hmm. um, this in this case, I think it was what one positive test on the Florida State team, and, mm-hmm. you know, derailing the whole thing. So yeah, I don't know. It does seem a little suspect.
2: Yeah, like I said, yeah, not a good look. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if, it, you can definitely I think get that uh, impression that they wanted just to stop playing. I guess the rest, you know, the rest. <laughs> you of the can't
1: season. really blame them. I guess. <laughs> Well, let's move on to Boston College here. Uh, they've had a pretty solid season. I mean, they started off with a big win over Duke. They played Texas State for their non-conference game. Uh, they lost uh, against North Carolina, close game there. Uh, Tar Heels were ranked 12 at the time. They did beat Pitt in overtime by one. Lost big at Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech put it on in 40-14. to Georgia Tech, they did beat them pretty handily. They lost to Clemson, but played them pretty tough. They won at Syracuse in a close, low-scoring game. They played Notre Dame pretty tough. They did lose 45-31 to 31 a couple of weeks ago, and then they had their uh, their off week, and then they played Louisville last week and beat them by a touchdown, 34-27. So it seems like kind of every other week they're scoring some points. What do you guys know about uh, BC this year? Well, first-year
0: coach, Jeff Halfley, and he has the most wins of any first-year coach in the country this year. Interestingly, Willie Taggart, you remember that name? Yeah, Uh, has five wins (laughs) as the other first year coach. So um, maybe it's the program in Tallahassee and not who's on the sidelines that is causing the the trouble lately. But, you know, B.C.'s five and four in the ACC right now. So solid, solid team. And this is a toss up game on on paper. I think if you if you really want to get down to it and toss up games can go either way. Reading their notes, they haven't finished above 500 in the ACC since 2009. So they have something to play for. So I expect them to be motivated. I expect the game to happen. As Chris said earlier, uh, neither team has had very many COVID issues up to this point. So they have a lot to play for. Virginia, on the other hand, senior day, right? Last home game for the 2017 class, the first full Bronco Mendenhall class. So they could also guarantee a non-losing season with a win and a win in their final home game. So I think both teams have a pretty significant amount to be uh, focused on and to play for in this one. So I expect know, kind of a competitive, ready to go toss-up game that could go either way.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it, this seems like t- typical Boston College in terms of I think I think year in year out they t- they bring like a toughness to the table. They're determined, and you know they're they're going to give you their all. I think each year. And this year, I think in, in particular, it's been pretty impressive, as Coach Mendenhall uh, pointed out uh, at his press conference, that first-year coach didn't have a, a long offseason to work with, obviously, with COVID-19 concerns. So he was able to uh, you know put together a team that's 6-4 and four so far this season that's been competitive in pretty much every game except for Blacksburg, where Virginia Tech just rolled over them. But they've been competitive. Uh, again, as, as you mentioned, Jeff, at Clemson, they got up on Clemson early before Clemson had to uh, was able to rally in that game. North Carolina was a very close game until the end. So they they could potentially be 8 and 2 at this point heading into this uh this game, but yeah, I think they are more pass heavy this year. They have a good uh, good quarterback, Tilly Yurkovic, who a uh, big 6-5 guy, he can scramble a little bit, but he's more of a passing guy. He's passed, he's uh five different receivers have 25 catches or more. This year, headlined by their tight end who leads uh uh, leads the team in in receptions. His name escapes me right off the top of my head, but uh he's definitely one to watch for. But yeah, definitely uh yeah they like to spread it around. They can spread it around, and they don't really they haven't you know till to this point really hurt themselves. They've only turned the ball over 11 times. Their opponents have t- turned the ball over 20 times. So, as we know, earlier in the season for Virginia, that was a big issue was a, was turnovers. But, fortunately, Virginia's been able to fix that. And, again, it's going to be an interesting game. I think both teams seem determined and focused, and they've they've played, uh, played focused, and they've been focused on and off the field throughout this this uh, challenging season. So, I think it's going to be an exciting matchup. It's gonna, it should be a pretty close game, I think.
0: Tight end's name is Hunter Long. He, he not only leads B.C. in receptions, he leads – the nation for receptions by a tight end with 49, so he Thank is a <laughs> yeah he, he is a big target. I think it says he's 18th among all players in receptions. A big target for them, and anytime I see that, any team that has a tight end, I at least have pause because that is something that at times has caused Virginia problems in the Mendenhall era. And I believe the the last time Boston College lit up Virginia in Scott Stadium. The tight ends were extremely active (laughs) in in that win for BC. So yeah, definitely something that gives you pause. He's averaging 18 yards of a reception too. This is not a five yard route guy. (laughs) So um, it'll be interesting to see just kind of how a a secondary that's still learning, particularly at the safety spot, if Blunt and Nelson are not available and it sounds like they are hopeful, but. They're not playing <laughs> reading between the lines. So as, as safeties continue to learn on the job, whether that's D'Angelo Amos, because it's his first year in the system, or Antonio Clary and Cohen King, because they're just younger and haven't been on the field much, uh, that could be a challenge for those guys if they end up matched up on uh, Hunter Long.
2: And, and Boston College falls into the category of Wake Forest and NC State in terms of teams that Virginia does not play on a yearly basis. And it seems like Virginia, you know, under in the Mendenhall era has done uh, well in terms of the teams they play consistently in, uh, year in, year out in the coastal against Wake Forest and NC State. However, they're 0-4 and, 4 and uh, they did have that uh, one bad loss to Boston College already. So that's kind of in the back of my mind as well. We'll see if that is actually like a factor or not. But, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely in the back of my mind in terms of teams that, you know, UVA is is familiar with versus teams that UVA is not um, so far in, in the ACC. Yeah,
1: there's certain teams that the fans, you get you get un, that uneasy feeling when it comes time for, uh, for Boston College Week. And then you look back and it's like, oh yeah, we've never beaten them. That's why I'm having that uneasy feeling. Uh, and I'm surprised guys with all these stats lining up and all the stuff you guys have been talking about According to the almighty uh, ESPN football power index here, it's a 57.1% chance for UVA to win. And they're a six point favorite at this point. So kind of interesting because the teams do match up pretty equally across the board. It looks like, you know, both teams giving up a few more yards than they're actually getting themselves on offense. Uh, Boston college, about 373 total yards, but they're allowing about 403 yards a game Uh, UVA. Meanwhile, getting about 420 yards. So, Little more potent offensively, statistically, anyway, but uh, allowing 431 yards a game. So,
0: 57 uh, sounds like toss up to me, <laughs> right? Yeah. The, home, the
1: home team has slightly more than majority. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it looks like the Zay Flowers guy. He's got he's had a pretty good year, over 700 yards receiving and uh, seven touchdowns. the The quarterback's thrown for 17 touchdowns overall, only five interceptions. So, doesn't look like they've turned the ball over a whole lot.
0: The line that that worried me about Zay Flowers, the speedster, is the way that they describe him, the speedster. And we've seen, you know, uh, Brown with Carolina and some other speed receivers get behind Virginia's corners, who are a little inconsistent with their technique at times. You know, the safeties are out of position at times. The combination of that, not not great sometimes in the pass defense. I'm trying to to be as nice as possible without saying. Yeah. Some teams have lit up Virginia with speedy receivers, right? So yeah, flowers one to watch because if you're having to deal with long 18 yards of reception, the safeties are, Oh, I I'm focused on the tight end and boom, there goes. The speedster <laughs> uh, and maybe grant or cross, you know, if they are a little inconsistent with their technique and they get behind you, next thing you know, it's, it's one over the top and we've seen that happen. So scream shootout maybe, are we, are we screaming shootout? Is that what we're, we're coming down to here?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so. I- I- UNC's Brown, they play- yeah, he played pretty well against UVA. Uh, gosh, we can't bring him up anymore. I mean, it's ridiculous what he was able to put up. But him, um, uh, Harley from Miami went crazy against Virginia. Uh, Wake Forest had some receivers who had a lot of success against Virginia. So definitely speed. We've seen that uh, we can give Virginia's secondary a lot of trouble. And then you mix that in with a tight end, which has uh, occasionally given UVA some trouble as well and yeah i mean one thing to watch out for uh yorkovic uh did get he did lead the game last week with an injury now his backup dennis grosell came in and and led them to victory and and played pretty well and he's played pretty well in both of his appearances this year but uh but that could be something to watch yorkovic obviously is kind of the the guy who's gotten things going throughout most of this year so uh, if he's not able to go i think that's a plus for virginia
1: yeah one of those uh 30 to 27 kind of games, maybe we'll see. But right. uh, for,
0: for Virginia Virginia has to hold up its end of the bargain and they've been yep. scoring well lately. Yep. Uh in these last three games, especially have scored the ball well. Boston College has two linebackers that are really, really good. Isaiah McDuffie and Max Richardson, third and fifth nationally in tackles. And remember, we were talking about going into the Florida State game. The run running back run game wasn't as good as they had hoped against Louisville and Abilene Christian. So when you see linebackers, a lot of tackles, you think, okay, are they stuffing the run? Are they they popping into gaps and preventing gains? What does that mean for quarterback runs too? Do you want to run Armstrong more than you have with only two games left? Maybe, maybe not. Do you bring in Keaton Thompson to do some quarterback runs, but then that takes the, the threat of throwing it off of those out, right? So, that gives you a little interesting thing to watch, too. Those linebackers racking up, racking up stops, particularly against the run. Cause I don't think if, I think if Virginia can't establish the run, they're not as good. So if that means running Armstrong, fine. I just don't think they're as balanced or as effective or as much of a threat to have a high scoring game if they can't run the football, too.
2: And from a turnover standpoint, Boston College, interestingly enough, I think they have eight interceptions. So, I mean, that's obviously a solid amount, and that was Brennan Armstrong's Achilles heel early in the year. But they also – they have 12 fumble recoveries. So, uh, 17 fumbles from their opponents, uh, so they re- recovered 12. So, clearly, the UVA's got to have to take uh, take care of, the, care of the football and hold on to it tight, in addition to having success in that traditional run game with the running backs – to help kind of open things up for for Armstrong because, you know, Armstrong's been on a roll, but for him to have to handle everything as far as running and passing, that that could be a a challenge against a pretty solid Boston College team. Now, Cunningham uh, from uh, Louisville did have a lot of success last week, so dual threat quarterbacks could be uh, maybe an issue for those guys. He was able to really rack up the yards against Boston College.
0: And one thing that Greg Waters, who does our grades on the site, pointed out in his most recent article is that Virginia's defense has gotten better inside the 40. So when teams cross midfield, they haven't had as much success as they did early in the year. So while the defense hasn't been great and has given up some big plays and things like that, they have improved in kind of that key area. Red zone defense inside the 20 and then plus field defense inside the 40. Well, if you look at Boston College, 10 of their scoring drives have been 70 to 79 yard touchdown drives. So, like, gain some yards, gain some yards, gain some yards, right? Like, longer yardage drives. So, will that play into it for Virginia? Ben's but doesn't break, Jeff, where they uh, hold inside the 40. I know you've pointed that out some, too, and and Greg's numbers support what you've been seeing.
1: Yeah, you know, it turnovers so so many times, these kind of toss-up games, it comes down to that one one or two plays that uh, can really turn the tide. And maybe it comes right off the bat. We've seen some, <laughs> some big plays, positive and negative, super early in, in these games for UVA this year. So 20 we'll touchdown watching.
0: drives of seven plays or more this season for Boston college. So maybe this is like I'm saying, not a big play game for Virginia, yeah. but they can just prevent the big ones yeah. <laughs> and turn this into a field goal kicking contest. Maybe. Yes.
1: Keep them to field goals. That's for sure. The the red zone defense and the, the turnover is always so key, but, uh, wanted to get your take guys on speaking of the kicking game, uh, obviously national news and, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, making headlines with their kicker, Sarah Fuller, the most famous walk-on in college football this season, according to the Associated Press. Um, She's apparently going to stick with it. It wasn't just a one-game deal. Uh, The first woman to play in a uh, Power Five conference football game, I felt a little bad. It was my alma mater, Missouri. Vanderbilt was so bad offensively that she didn't get a chance to kick an extra point even or a field goal. (laughs) She got to do one kickoff to kick off the second half, and that was it. But uh, what's your guys' take on – I wanted to give you the floor on on what you think uh, all of that means for college football in general.
0: I think it's awesome as a coach of a girls basketball team and as a dad of a daughter. It's girl dad, awesome. I think it's really cool that she got in a Power Five game. In terms of the landscape of college football, it would take more than one player creating sort of major ripple down cascade effect. But so yeah, as, as a girl coach and a girl dad, thumbs up from me.
2: Oh, yeah, to- totally. Yeah, I have uh, three daughters. Uh, my older two daughters will not play any ball sports whatsoever, so football will not be in their future. But my youngest, <laughs> she's pretty feisty, and so she probably will. Yeah, who knows? You never know. She, I think she, she uh, has a love for soccer, and she hasn't played it yet. So you never know. Maybe down the road she could be the next one. But, no, I thought it was cool. And just seeing all the reactions, um, you know, just through Twitter, I thought it was pretty neat uh, as well Just what it meant to a lot of people.
1: Yeah. I mean, Billie Jean King was chiming in on Twitter and it, it was pretty, they did a pretty good job. I thought on the broadcast of uh, kind of putting everything in context there. So kudos to Sarah Fuller and the uh, Vanderbilt program, despite their, uh, their struggles this season. So we will look forward to the the Boston college matchup for UVA this weekend. And man, I I can't wait to discuss hoops with you guys next as we finally got UVA back on the basketball court with coach Tony Bennett. So Two big games to talk about. We'll do that next year on the Saber.com podcast. It's your number one online source as a Virginia fan, the Sabre.com. Into the second segment of the saber.com podcast we go. Jeff Swetman, your host. We'll talk about some Grammy nominations and snubs from last week's big announcement for the 63rd annual Grammys. It's coming up at the end of January, hosted by Trevor Noah this year. That'll be our turning the table segment. But first let's talk about basketball. Gentlemen, I think uh, all the fans had us in the final four after that first game. And then it's like, uh, we're all jumping off the, uh, the Titanic here after the second game. So uh, (laughs) please bring us back to reality and put it all in perspective. Uh, Chris Wright, what did, what were your takeaways?
0: Fans are going to (laughs) fan. That's what I always say because fans are a much more emotional roller coaster than the participants themselves who try to at least stay as even keel as possible particularly in a basketball season. I mean, there's 25, 26 games. You're talking about 18 to 23-year-olds. I mean, even in the NBA, if you did just a 25-game schedule, you're going to lose games. Nobody goes undefeated. It just doesn't happen. So people freak out when it's not a name opponent. Like, who's San Francisco? I've never heard of San Francisco. That kind of thing is why the emotion is greater than if this was, say, the Villanova game. I think people would be like, oh, okay, it's just Villanova. So it's early season. They're installing a new offense for at least part of their offense. The defense is a rhythm defense. I say this all the time. So it takes a little bit of time to gel uh, on that end when you have new pieces. And frankly, they have a lot of new pieces. So I don't see any reason to be alarmed. It was not a good performance. The defense was a mess. That was awful. <laughs> like my Virginia standards, especially, it just wasn't very good. Guys were late. Guys were not alert. They certainly were not continuous. That's coach Bennett's big thing is even when you make mistakes, can you make up for it with a little bit of tenacity by scrambling and doing things like that? So a lot of work to do on that end, and I'm sure they have heard that a lot since Friday, that you know they need to be tougher mentally. They need to be tougher defensively. They ha- need to have more grit. Coach Bennett has been using these terms in the media, and I put this on the message board Friday as soon as they lost after I heard his post-game comments. It seems to me that Coach Bennett is not happy with his team's toughness. Now, he's not someone that comes right out and says, my team is soft. But if you read between the lines, media day, we're blue-collar, not blue-blood, which people took to me at the time. Oh, yeah, look at us. like we're, we're We are blue-collar. I think looking back at it, he might have been reminding his team that we're blue collar versus saying we are blue collar. And then after the San Francisco loss, things like gritty—we're not gritty; we need to be more gritty, more tough, more intangible type things. And even after the Towson game, there were a couple hints with what he was saying in terms of you know like what he said about them defensively down the stretch of that game. And yeah, I think he's sending his team a message that they need a little more Virginia in their game than uh, pretty in their game.
1: Well, Chris Horn, was this a little bit of the the UMBC template too, where you they kind of spread us out, it seemed like they hit 13 threes, which you, you just gotta tip your hat, you know, on some of those. The one they banked in at one point. I mean, it was he it was all over them. And there were many wide open threes as well, but uh it, it did seem like they had some shooters, they had a couple of really quick guards, and when you spread out the pack line like that and you hit those threes, that that seems like the the recipe, you know, you gotta pray some of those shots go in but uh what was your takeaway
2: yeah i mean i think it did have a little bit of that kind of feel for me in terms of virginia just being a step slow like uh wherever they're trying to go but i think i thought virginia played well at times but then i think uh, what chris said like continuous for me was kind of the key word like they just they would play well and play with intensity or focus or whatever you want to call it and then for whatever reason, you know, San Francisco would keep hitting back and, you know, Virginia would not be able to really kind of put their foot on the gas and, and, and keep it going. Whether that was, you know, some of the threes, obviously, I think you definitely have to tip, tip your hat. Um, you know, there was a, a three late where it was, I thought it was just good ball movement by uh, San Francisco to get the open three. But then there was another one where I can't remember if it was Hauser or Huff where they were just a, a little bit late and, and not getting their hands up um, as well. And they were able to knock that down. You know, kind of the the toughness thing. I I, I agree with it as, as well. I was kind of thinking like the word that I was kind of stick with is like this didn't kind of feel like a typical physical. Virginia team like physically tough physicality I would have been interested to see like uh, maybe Poppy Cafaro kind of get in there you know kind of add a little bit inject a little bit of that in there and I thought you kind of saw that around the basket especially uh yeah on offense not necessarily on defense where they had so many opportunities to convert around the basket and they just were not able to take it in strong and either either draw a foul or uh finish the play and you know I think just just the culmination of just kind of the spurts of of a lack of intensity or whatever uh yeah like chris said that like, like the, just the defense was kind of just not continuous throughout the whole game i mean there there were maybe some flashes but it really wasn't good at, uh to virginia's standards and the just the the lack of finishing around the basket i think that just and then san francisco just you know it put san francisco in a an opportunity to be able to to, to you know pull out the game and that's what they that's what they did
0: two things one eight of 22 on layups according to the live stats. So that's not good. (laughs) Shots near the rim. The word that a friend of mine used in a text message to me was they look so unsure. A lot of times you can equate uncertainty or indecisiveness, hesitancy with effort, right? So I think a lot of fans look at it and they say they didn't give any effort. They weren't like, because they didn't dive on the floor or something. You know what I mean? Like I I equate, I think unsure is a good word for it. I don't know that they didn't want to win or they weren't trying hard. You saw several of the close-ups of players where you'd catch Sam Houser kind of shaking his head, like, Oh, Oh, this is so like, I'm running in quicksand today or or a clip of Jay Huff for a second, where he's just like, Oh my God, I can't believe he made that three. Those are signs of a team that's uncertain. That's just not sure about what's going on. That can be equated to a lot of things. The defense is demanding. If you're not sure of your rotations and then you're late, it's really easy to get stuck and, and stand there instead of just scramble. That's, an uncertain sign to me from years of coaching. And then the other one is offensively. When you're not sure, you become hesitant. And if you're hesitant, you're late. And if you're late in a five-out system where you're trying to drive, the gap is gone. <laughs> the gap is not there very long in Division One basketball. If you've ever sat down low in the JPJ, you know what I'm talking about. Those gaps are here and then they're gone. They're fleeting. So if you're hesitant at all, a five-out offense will not work.
1: Well, and let's get a little more in-depth on this topic, guys, uh, in terms of the bright spots for that San Francisco game. You know, Justin McCoy in the starting lineup for both of these first two contests, and he, along with Reese Beekman, leading scorers. They both had 11, although I think you guys would both pretty much admit if they're going to be our two leading scorers, we're probably in trouble. <laughs> uh, and I do want to ask you about Huff and Clark and, and how they played, but let's start with Beekman and, and McCoy. I thought they both played really well against San Francisco,
2: yeah, I think um, I think we saw why uh, Coach Bennett likes liked the uh, Reeves Bigman for as long as he did on the recruiting trail. I mean, just he's poised out there. He was one of the few him and he, actually both he and McCoy who finished around the basket. Hit hit to a couple outside shots, and yeah, again, just played under control. I thought there were a couple times where you know his man got by him, and I think that was kind of some issues defensively, kind of recurring throughout the game where guys were able to get past um, their defenders, uh, their Virginia defenders, and uh, which led to some scores. But, uh, no, but, yeah, but I, I was very impressed with Beekman, and I can definitely see him playing a large role this year. And McCoy is a guy, yeah, I mean, I really liked the energy that he brought, and he definitely seems to be fitting into that kind of Isaiah Wilkins-ish kind of mold, I think, in terms of a guy who can bring that energy. But also, you know, I think he's flashed some, some scoring ability – which hopefully over the course of the season as he gets more and more playing time will be more consistent. Um, but you know, I liked what, what he brought to the table, um, you know, from a rebounding standpoint, from an energy standpoint, you know, there were times again on defense, I think to, to Chris's point, as far as being unsure is like, you know, there were a couple of times where defensively, I think guys were a little unsure of exactly what to do and, the, you know, a little more thinking going on as opposed to reacting. Um, and that's a, you know, when, when, I, I do think though that this Virginia team is going to rely on some of these younger guys and it's going to be a process for them to be totally comfortable and to be uh, able to react in the defense rather than have to think about it so that's something to watch out for one thing I will say is uh Caden Shedrick when he was out there uh you know with when I think we had spoken earlier about you know the pop the athletic pop that Mamadi Diakite had brought to the brought to the table and I didn't really see that anywhere in the front court, but I thought McCoy looked a little bit better, but man, Caden Chedrick is a really, really good looking athlete. So I'm really anxious to see how he, he develops over the course of this season, but I think he's got a pretty promising career ahead of him.
1: Yeah. And I'm with you too, uh, Chris Horn. on the, you know, Cofaro not playing at all was a little bit of a mystery. You know, I looked at because uh, I was looking at some of the the names on these San Francisco guys and sure enough, a majority of them are international players And, you know, they had some height coming off the bench. I think every guy they brought off the bench was six, eight or six, nine. And, you know, we were talking about the toughness or the grit of UVA to this point. And Kafaro seems like that sort of player. He has that international background. He's played in some pretty high level, uh, you know, worldwide tournaments and that sort of thing coming in. And I don't know. I thought he could have given us maybe a little bit of a spark and shove some guys around down low or, or whatever he needed to do and kind of match that, uh, you know the the foreign players sometimes I feel like just have that no fear just just go get it type of uh, mentality that that maybe some of the these uh, diaper dandies or whatever come in a little more coddled out of the American uh, system of of uh, you know high school basketball or whatever but uh, Chris Wright what do you, what did you see from McCoy I, I still say he got an and1 there at the end which completely changes that last 20 or 30 seconds and then I want to get your take too on since we didn't get the call and we were down by one, we didn't foul for like 10 seconds went by before we committed the foul there. And there was only, I think, two seconds between shot clock and game clock there. Some some in game management issues maybe uh, explained by the youth on the team. Or what do you think, Chris Wright?
0: Starting with Cafaro, I, I don't know that he would help five-out offense. He just wouldn't. Okay, so that's what they're doing on that end. So that's why his minutes right now are non-existent.
1: And explain that five out, because I've heard the, the commentators say that, too. What what does that mean? You're you're just driving to the basket more? It didn't seem like there was a whole right. lot of passing to the open guy. <laughs> we were just <laughs> taking it up one on three, it seemed like, on a, a lot of those missed layups.
0: Right. Depends on which game you're talking about. So Right. But then also, San Francisco wasn't playing bang it down low either. So, Kafaro wouldn't help you there either. So, that just to finish up my thought on, on that.
1: True. Five, yep. five
0: out offense simply means open post. Nobody's in the post. Five people um, outside the paint. So what that is designed to do is be a equal opportunity, meaning the ball pops and moves and guys get different chances to do things within the concept. And there are little things built into it. So pass and cut passing screen away. There's some isolation things. So it's not just as simple as five people stand around outside the paint. So, um, but that's the general idea. And so what you're trying to do is use Hauser and Huff who are good shooters as front court players, Murphy as well when he comes in, is to space the floor to create driving lanes, right? And then those driving lanes hopefully get you all the way to the rim, or they suck in the defense and lead you to kick it out again. So if you take the two games, you see the good and the bad of that, right? So Towson got sucked in repeatedly. You had kickouts that were wide open. Towson did not guard the rim very well. So you just had a lot of open shots. And guys at this level, frankly, should make open shots. You know, in the NBA, it's even more drastic. (laughs) If you leave a guy open, he's just going to make it. Um, But it's pretty drastic at division one compared to the the level prior to that as well. So high school. So that's part of it. But listen, San Francisco had the advantage of seeing it, which Towson didn't know it was coming. So what San Francisco decided to do, and it was the correct decision, is overplay the perimeter, deny those three-point shots, and then don't help. They chose not to help. They said beat us at the rim, beat us at the free throw line, instead of lighting up the three-point line like they did with Towson. So it was a very conscious choice. They were forcing Virginia to drive. Well, that's kind of what you want. That's the point of the space, right? But then you go 8 of 22 at the rim, and you have guys not getting clean, cleanly by, so they end up in the mid-range game instead of at the rim. Now, they did get a lot of free throws, and they did capitalize on the free throws part. But listen, when I see that, alarm bells go off to me because Florida State's going to do that. Clemson can sort of do that. Duke can do that. Carolina can do that. Is it going to work? Right. I'm not saying abandon it, but I don't like 80% of the time, which is what it was around. I was a little under that, but it was around that for this game. So if you don't have guys that can create their own off the dribble, which I think is a weakness of this team, not a strength. And the other team is not willing to help off the other guys. You've created space, but you've created space for one of your weaknesses, which to me is creating your own offense off the dribble. So they have some choices to make. Um, if they go blocker mover, the kind of traditional whatever more often, then maybe you see Kafaro come into the equation. Then maybe you see McCoy become even more valuable in ways because he he has played really well. We talked about him a lot in the preseason as being a guy that we thought maybe could be a factor. So, um, here on the podcast, so. Uh, ball screens were non-existent for these two games. And to me, that plays away from the what, were, what A, works really well last year, but B, plays toward the strengths of Huff and Clark. Huff is an elite rim roller. He's one of the best in the country, top 10, 15 percentile of the last two years on rolls to the rim. There are zero of those uh, in this offense, right? So we only saw it when they went to a specific call to make that happen. So, yeah, some, some decisions to make now that they've seen it live. You know, normally these are things you would get answered in a closed-door scrimmage. Those don't exist in 2020. So you got some real quick answers from a really smart, good game plan from San Francisco. That doesn't mean scrap it. That just means you now have something to work from. Yeah,
1: what would you think, uh, Chris Horn, Jay Huff, two shots in the San Francisco game? I I couldn't believe that when I saw the stat after the game. And one of them came with like a minute and a half left in the game. (laughs) I don't think he took a single shot in the first half. So, uh, you know, Hauser sat for a good portion of the second half, it seemed like. And, you know, it's one of those good problems to have in terms of the the success. You know, Trey Trey Murphy gets the the last-minute reprieve on the, the waiver, and so he's right in the mix and hits six of eight on three, leads the team in scoring with 21 the first game and goes 0 for 6 <laughs> from the field in the second game. Got a lot of playing time, rightfully so. But uh, Abdul Rahim seems to be kind of the odd man out maybe with that, how that has transpired because everybody kind of thought Murphy was going to be On next year's roster so how how do you see all that playing out
2: yeah it's it's kind of a lot to unpack i think the good thing is i think um it's obviously early you know it's the second game and i think back to what we were talking about earlier with uh with chris talking about the blue collar mentality uh this is a great game i think for tony bennett to show his team and say okay (laughs) i told you (laughs) that we have we have to get back to the virginia mentality of you know, defense is going to be the calling card. And, you know, obviously the, you know, the offense got so much not, notor, uh, notoriety after that first game and and rightfully, rightfully, rightfully so they, they shot at lights out and did very well, but, you know, obviously the defense has a ways to get better. And coach Bennett mentioned that, you know, at his, uh, in, you know, first press conference of the year that, he, the defense had, had not shown him yet that they can win with their defense. So um, I think this is a great game to learn from, from that respect. Yeah. I don't really have an answer for uh, Jay Huff's lack of um, shot attempts. I did think that last play, I know it was designed for, for Hauser, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Gardner Webb um, first game in the NCAA tournament. I believe it was Gardner Webb, maybe it was Oklahoma actually uh, where Huff caught it at the top. Somebody came out quickly to, to, to cover him and he, went right past him and and dunked at home. I think it might've been Oklahoma. And I was kind of hoping he would have done that, but, uh, but no, but I mean, obviously Hauser's a great shooter, but when you have guys who are capable and uh, a lot of, a lot of guys who are capable, you know, it's going to be interesting how Tony Bennett kind of figures this, uh, this thing out because I think there are a lot of guys who can, can play, you know, we're not sure exactly who's going to be consistent and what's going to happen. And that you only find that out. I think through, through gameplay.
0: Just to circle back five around zero, Huff's a floor spacer. If they're not helping off, when's he supposed to shoot it? They didn't put him in the mid post in an ISO situation really at all that I recall. That's not on Jay Huff. That's on the coaches and his teammates, in in my opinion. Like, could he have been more forceful where on some of those five out catches where he just puts it on the floor and goes? I guess maybe, right? But I don't know that, that you want him doing that all the time. And then that last one that he passed up, he actually set a ball screen first. So that's why he was open on the pop. So uh, m- more argument to run the ball screen earlier in the game so that he could shot fake and go or shoot that top of the key three versus that last play of the game where he's just running the play pretty much, even though there were options on it. I don't think I answered your question. Since we're I'm sort of like sneaking around, did the coaches do a great job type of question here? Because I thought they should have went more mid-post isolation for both Huff and Hauser. If they're going to stay out on the perimeter – the reason you have versatile guys is that you can punish them in multiple ways, not just as floor spacers. And they went to it late and Hauser delivered on it. They should have done that a lot earlier. And I would have fouled earlier to answer your question. I forgot to answer earlier, you know, i cut the lead to one, maybe it should have been an and one. Okay, fine. Uh, There's a two second difference. You're not getting the ball back. So you're going to have to foul. I was fine with one trap. Um, I think ideally most teams would do that full court but they chose to do it at half. So I'm okay with that. That's not a disaster yet. But after one trap, I think you have to foul. They went for a second trap where they followed it down the the sideline and then that trap got passed out of and then they just kind of play keep away for a second. So to me, the mistake was after the first trap. And I don't know if that was players or coaches saying go for two traps, but I think one and then foul is the correct way to play that out percentages wise where you get two or three more possessions instead of just one, even though they could have won on that one possession
1: thought there for a second, Murphy was going to get the the tip in there. That would have been an interesting uh, (laughs) go to the replay and see, did he get it in time? You know,
0: was it last week I was saying like greatness is not showing up with, with a bunch of points in one game. It's consistently showing up. Was that on last week's podcast? That's Trey Murphy, right? (laughs) You drop 21 and then you don't make any shots to me. Like he played 25 minutes and everyone's been talking about Clark and Huff and, and this, that, and the other, you play 25 minutes weren't great defensively no one was frankly and then you didn't hit any shots like you did in the previous game and again they were hugging up on those but we saw him drive and throw down two-handed against and like if you're going to play 25 minutes that's you got to be more productive with those minutes or you need to get him down around 17 or 18 minutes and then you can work in a wall to tensai who also can get hot you know yeah. he, he actually shot the ball well but they're not running them off screens and stuff. That w- was what spaced out the offense last year. Like lots of decisions to make. I, this is not a, a, an easy solution. The thing is, it's not about what you choose. It's just being committed to what you choose. So mm-hmm. if they choose to stay five out, you just got to be better at it. If you choose to to mix it up, you just got to be good at it. <laughs> right. So whatever the choices are, it's going to come down to, to being better at it.
1: Well, and Walden Tinsa, you mentioned him. He did. It seemed like he hit a couple in a row there in the second half, right when we needed him. And then I don't think he touched the ball there the rest of the game so that that's what has always driven me a little bit nuts the last you know 10 12 years watching the who's uh since i've been here in this area it's like go with the hot hand you know somehow find a way to get that guy get put your best players in the best position to score the ball and um you know who am i to question tony bennett i will never do that but (laughs) that's that's why we fan right
0: fans (laughs) gonna fan
1: We can just shake our fist and go, ah, you know, but I will point out, you know, with all the, I'm not with the naysayers and all the, you know, haters or whatever, jumping off the ship already, because you look at it and as terrible as UVA played and as great as San Francisco played, you know, we held them to 21 in the first half. You can't do much better than that. We lost by one point and we had a chance to win a good open shot to uh, win the game there at the end. It just didn't go down. So. You yeah. got to play great. We got to play terrible for you to even have a shot. <laughs> I, st- I still think that's a UVA truism this season with this team. So <laughs> great
0: defense for a half, great offense for a half, not consistent yep. with either. If they're consistent right. with either for both halves, they probably win comfortably. Yeah. So to me, this is a great learning game. Like, yes. I, no alarm bells for me, no panic, no bench anyone, no play zone because the offense isn't good. I mean, the defense isn't good. None of that. There are no alarm bells for me other than. Got, got a lot of work to do and that is a trademark of tony bennett teams they will get the work done i'm not no, nowhere near panic mode
1: well and chris horn let me throw this to you uh, as we've seen gonzaga play pretty well here these this first week they're still number one Baylor's still number two uh you got three big 10 teams now at three four and five iowa wisconsin illinois as uva falls from four down to 15 in the rankings not that we put much stock in that but uh Just wanted to note it that uh, Villanova, meanwhile, has fallen from 3-12 to after their loss to Virginia Tech in overtime. Now, that was their third game in four days for Villanova, so I will point that out. Virginia Tech picked 11th in the ACC uh, for the preseason anyway. Now they find themselves ranked right behind UVA in, in the top 20. And then you look a little bit lower in the top 20. You've got Richmond at number 19, Kentucky at number 20 as Kentucky falls 10 spots after losing at home to the Richmond Spiders, their first ever win on the road versus the top 10 team. So kudos to the Spiders and the Hokies. Uh, you got to give it to them. They're, they're looking pretty good here at the beginning of the year. What do you think about the, uh, the state of uh, basketball in the Commonwealth here early on
2: Chris Horn? Didn't we have this conversation last year with Virginia tech? <laughs> I think uh, they had a pretty good uh, Maui invitational and there were the talk That's of the right. town and yeah, Uh, once they got in the ACC, then it it wasn't, they weren't as successful. Now they get, they have some players. Uh, you know, guys who are experienced from last year who can score the basketball and they have a, a nice addition from Kansas State. And, you know, obviously, you know, being able to beat those teams says, says something. And, you know, from Richmond Spiders, uh, you know, I'm very impressed with them so far as well, taking it to Kentucky. But, I, you know, I think it's just it's just early. And I think, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I certainly don't think Tony Bennett wanted them, want, wants his team to lose ever. But I think, uh, for him to have the chance to show, that or to learn from that San Francisco game, I think, is going to benefit UVA a lot in the long run. So I'll be more interested to have this conversation in a couple in a couple months. I think. Give me Bennett any day over Calipari. By the way,
0: <laughs> yeah. His whole crazy rant
2: in the press
0: conference about you wanted us to play a tougher schedule before they even lost to Richmond. He was already like laying the oh, groundwork for when I lose on Sunday. <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: Well,
1: and uh, I, I don't know if I should even mention this, but uh, San Francisco did turn around and lose to Rhode Island. who's already lost to Boston College this year. Uh, so, but it will be interesting. They, they've got some, some decent-looking players there, and they do run up against Gonzaga. I think they have to play them twice every year in their conference. So we'll see how the season goes for the Dons. Definitely an energetic young coach. I mean, that guy looked like he was about 12 on the, uh, the sideline over there. He was jumping around and complaining about calls, and, man, he was into it. He was way way more into it than the UVA players were, it seemed. So that's bad when the, the opposing coach is more into the game than your, your team is. But uh, we, uh, we did want to mention uh, one of the things, speaking of coaches that are super annoying, Jim Boeheim wanted to bring this up to you guys because he apparently regrets the fact that they actually played their game I think it was Friday versus Bryant. They won by one measly point. I think it was on their home court and they ran into a situation where their players had to quarantine. I think they had one or two positive tests. Jim Bayheim himself had already been in quarantine earlier this year. So a little bit of a COVID situation there for their protocol. They had basically exiled their players to their apartments. That's all they were doing. They, they could ride their exercise bike. There's no practicing going on, no going to the gym, nothing. So they sat around for two weeks. <laughs> they had, I think, one practice on Thanksgiving and then played a game and then almost lost to Bryant on their home court. And then afterwards, Jim Beheim is saying, you know, it was on me. I shouldn't have even, we shouldn't have even played this game. And he wants a little more clarity, I think, on the, the protocols and stuff, maybe from the ACC. So it's just going to be one of those uh, developing situations, I guess. Right, guys?
0: I expect the schedule to change and ebb and flow. So William and Mary is on pause right now. So that December 12th game with Virginia has already been postponed. I believe Wake Forest is on pause right now. So that December the 16th game, they may be in a situation similar to what you just described where they haven't been back to practice very long before they play. It's just going to be that type of year. And I, I, I think everyone just kind of expects it for now. Uh, to stay that way th- throughout, just moving pieces and, and games moving or getting canceled or postponed or, or what have you. So, you know, should they be playing a uh, lot of Rick Pitino, you know, versus pushing it down the road? Some, I, my pay grade's not high enough to answer that question. I just, <laughs> I just analyze whatever games happen. <laughs> you know
2: what I mean? What
1: <laughs> well, do you guys want to take a look now, or uh, should we wait till the next segment to talk about the upcoming week of uh, games? Three more games before we talk again next week for the who's. No, no, let's just keep going. Okay. Uh, what do you think coming up here? We've got uh, St. Francis, and then we've got Kent State, and then Michigan State, who will now be ranked a little bit higher, it looks like, than the Who's coming into that big matchup, where you've got Tom Izzo and company coming to JPJ for an ESPN game, the uh, the Big Ten ACC Challenge opponent, of course. So that, of course, is the marquee one, but you, you got a couple of games here to, to maybe get right and figure out this uh, – five-out offense and get a little uh, tighter with the pack line defense, right? Who are you looking for either scheme-wise or, or specific player-wise, uh, keeping an eye on these next couple of games?
0: St. Francis beat Pitt. So let's just start there. Like um, That's the first one that, that, that comes up. So yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting just to see kind of choices. I'm interested in choices more than opponents, right? So what do you start doing with The offense, is it all five out, meaning 80% of the time, or do you adjust some to get more ball screens in there? If you're going to play, say, choice, Beekman and Clark together a lot, and Beekman and Clark both played more than 25 minutes against San Francisco, to me, it makes no sense to 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 not have ball screens in the offense. If you have both on the floor run some ball screens, even if it's not continuity ball screen, which they haven't been running very much. That's been on the message board a thousand times that and on Twitter and everywhere else. they've abandoned continuity ball screen that won them the title. And it's like, they barely ran continuity ball screen late that year. And they certainly didn't run it very much last year. That Arizona state game early in the year, but they weren't running spread or continuity ball screen late in the year. (laughs) So it's not that it's just if you have both both of those guys on the floor, to me, I would I would run that more. Screen and re-screen and screen and re-screen with, with Jay Huff in the middle. And then you have Hauser uh, spotting up on the outside, maybe Walter Tensai spotting up. And then I'm interested in choices beyond that as well. So what do you do with Trey Murphy now that you know that he's available and you actually get to, to practice specifically with that in mind versus, oh, we think he's going to get approved. And on down the line, right? Like McCoy, do you continue to play Shedrick? Even though he looked pretty good, is he just an extra piece right now that's messing with, yeah, I'm interested in choices.
1: That's what I'm most interested in. Yeah, what do you think, Chris Horn?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think St. Francis, as as Chris mentioned, they beat Pitt. And I think um, they're an interesting contest, uh, first contest out of the gate following the loss to San Francisco. Um, And with the lack of home court advantage, really, this year, it's kind of like you remember the the start of the football season uh, when – the obscure teams were hanging with the, these bigger teams. I mean, I think they see the, the, uh, the smaller teams see these games as very, you know, that they can be competitive in because, you know, there is no, I think the home court advantage really. So, uh, but I, I think I don't even know re- really where to start as far as where Coach Bennett's going to go as far as personnel wise, because again, they have so many uh, pieces they could potentially use and, uh, you know, hopefully it'll help with Trey Murphy being de- definitively in the lineup or that he's available so they can maybe maybe that'll help them kind of figure some things out um, as well as far as these couple next couple games and i think michigan state will be a great barometer as well as can they keep improving on the defensive end? And also with uh, you know the physicality and things like that, I think that's going to be something I'm going to be looking forward to see and see if they can take some strides uh, to being continuous defensively from start to finish and uh, being just being more in sync, uh, which, again, I think is going to take time for the guys who are playing bigger roles than they were used to playing or weren't even playing last year um, to learn. But I think uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how they respond following the uh, San Francisco loss.
1: Well, and Chris Horn is kind of the recruiting uh, guru here for the Saber.com. Wanted to ask you. So, Abdurrahim, he's about the only top fifty guy, right, that UVA has gotten in forever. So, I know all three of us were super excited to see him potentially, maybe even start. And here, these first couple of games, he he got a couple of garbage time minutes in game one, and nothing in in game two. So uh what's going on there and am i right there with kind of the history and and sort of his hype uh coming to grounds.
2: Well I mean obviously the um the big three uh hunter Jerome Guy they were all extremely highly rated and Jay Huff. Uh Morcell was uh very highly rated um in his own right coming in um in last year's class. Uh but no Rahim is right there as far as with Kyle Guy as far as being one of the most highly rated recruits in, in the Bennett era for sure and Virginia school history for that matter. So it is interesting, but my thought was right with you, Jeff, as far as when Trey Murphy was uh, declared available when he was uh, got his waiver that, that uh, Jabri was kind of maybe the guy that, that hurts the, that impacts the most now, you know, just of course, basing it off of Jabri's high school stuff. And, you know, another thing with Jabri is he did He did miss his entire senior season with, uh, or most of it, with a foot injury. So I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe that's kind of hampering his development uh, somewhat. So, you know, we're not really sure exactly, but you know, with, with Murphy, you get a guy who's got two years of college experience and obviously he showed flashes of what he could do in the first game. So I think for me, that was my first thought was that Murphy's emergence is going to impact Abdur Rahim, but now, you know, we'll see. Cause if they are doing the, the five outs, I think Abdur Rahim is a guy that, you know, based off, again, off his high school is a guy who can get to the basket and finish uh, and draw fouls and get to the foul line, which, you know, I think Murphy struggled a little bit with that, at least in the San Francisco game, but not necessarily in the first game. So again, a lot of personnel decisions. And um, that's an interesting one, though. Yeah, I mean, Abdur Rahim is very highly rated. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what where he is on the totem pole at this point.
1: Murphy, is he considered a, a grad? transfer has he already graduated from rice and now we still get two years with him at uva or did i misunderstand that somewhere along the way
2: no he started um he played two years at rice and then he transferred to virginia and his initial plan was to sit out this year to get stronger to work on his defense and things like that Um, but then you know obviously this year is basically a free year eligibility wise so they applied for the for the waiver and thought it was a better decision for him to play this year and uh that's that's where we're at so no he, had, he has it he wasn't a grad transfer or anything like that and um gotcha. he will have still have two years of eligibility if he if he wants to use them after this year
1: well it gave jay billis a, a good chance during the broadcast to rip the uh the waiver system and just you know he was like just grant all these guys just let them play come on NCAA, double any chance he gets to rip the NCAA, he takes it so uh
0: but jay Billis was also saying that they post trap every time a post touches the ball and they have decreased the amount of post traps in the last 4 or 5 years yeah. um there's a sweet spot for it it seems like in in the data so whatever he just uses his platform to to push whatever he's thinking i guess
2: <laughs> what did coach Mendenhall say a few weeks ago he turns the when he watches the games he turns the announcers off cuz they're they're wrong most of the time. So <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. Are you getting to that point, Chris, right? Where are you just? <laughs> I, I'm
0: just I leave,
1: getting confused.
0: I leave them on, but I ignore a lot of what they're saying. Or every now and then I'll clarify on the message board, you know, like, by the way, whatever you just heard the announcer say is just rubbish. <laughs> I, I, I do that sometimes during games so people don't get carried away with whatever they're going on about.
1: For the Michigan State game I think I definitely will have to turn the, the volume off because it'll just be Izzo 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 from ESPN I'm sure so
0: <laughs> how many titles does he have
1: exactly <laughs> my aunt and uncle and uh, my cousin who went to Michigan State I'm sure will be trash talking via text throughout that that whole matchup so
0: Michigan State's a good reminder of you can be really not very good looking in November early December and then be really good come late january through march they they do that repeatedly syracuse you mentioned one point when they do that repeatedly where they have a stinker somewhere early um often at home and then next thing you know they're an 11 seed in the sweet 16 or whatever so just slow down everyone let's take a deep breath let's not bench Hey clark like some folks on the message board have already wanted to do let's all just take a deep breath and see how all this plays out
1: well, is there a chance, guys, that this actually does work in UVA's advantage? Now, they're not in that top four. Everybody's guaranteeing a final four. Fans are all super hyped throughout the entire season. Maybe that backs off the, uh, the intensity and the pressure a little bit where you can just kind of stay in that mid range, muddled range. I mean, they, you know, the players, I guess, and certainly Tony Bennett don't care about that stuff, but.
0: My vote is to not do what the 2014 team did where they were highly ranked to start and then went all the way out of the rankings through that Tennessee debacle. Yes. And then turned it around. Let's not right. let's not spin the wheels for that long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hopefully learn from it without like uh, going backwards for a while.
1: <laughs> well, very good. We're going to wrap things up with our uh, musical endeavor and turning the tables next Grammy nominations and snubs here on the saber.com podcast. The first-
2: Porch is a nonprofit roots music organization
1: and we connect everyone through music.
2: I like the way that The Front
1: Porch encourages people to, to sort of engage with their community and sort of enlarge the community. Everybody is included and that's really what the word community is about. You know, making sure that everybody has their chance to have a good time and, and participate and add something.
0: All right, welcome back. This is the turning the table segment to wrap up this week's episode of the saber.com podcast. I'm saber editor Chris Wright and the driver's seat doing a little musical talk at the end of every episode to facilitate conversation on our off topic message board um, and really just to mix things up so The Grammys announced their nominees last week. Among them, uh, at least one album that we talked about on an earlier episode in terms of new albums for the year, James Taylor, American Standard, nominated for Best Traditional Pop Vocal Album. And there are (laughs) categories uh, of wide-ranging things here, Jeff. So plenty of opportunities for favored nominees or snubs. Justin Bieber is obviously a name that's been big on uh, social media since these announcements have come out. But Any surprising, I guess, nominations and any really obvious snubs that you want to point out?
1: Well, uh, leading the way, you had Beyonce uh, with, I think, nine nominations in all. Yep. She led the field with nine overall. And uh, Taylor Swift got six nods. Could win Album of the Year for record-breaking third time. Her Lockdown album, kind of a surprise release, Folklore, where she teamed up with Bon Iver and uh, members of The National. So kind of an indie rock, mellow vibe to that one. So, a bit of a surprise release and sound from Taylor. Uh, Dua Lipa picked up six nominations. So, those three kind of led the way. And then you had the snubs. There's always snubs, but the weekend, one of the probably all time Grammy snubs here as he was completely shut out, no nominations at all. He's going to headline the halftime Super Bowl <laughs> show in the new year. He kind of won all sorts of VMAs and AMAs and Blinding Lights, the single. Broke the Goo Goo Dolls record from the late 90s. The song Iris, remember that one? Spent 19 weeks, or that's been 18 weeks at number one on the Radio Songs Billboard chart, a chart which began in 1990. So it's not like one of those charts that goes all the way back. But uh, Blinding Lights, 19 weeks at number one this year and no nominations for the weekend. So that was a bit of a head scratcher. Dixie Chicks were pretty much left out, even though they're- The Chicks. uh, The Chicks now, that's right. Uh, (laughs) they, They were- I don't know if it was the name change that the, the Grammy voters didn't like or what, but um kind of interesting. Their producer got a nomination, Jack Antonoff for producer of the year, but uh, folks may know him from the band fun and uh, bleachers. And he's been a, a Taylor Swift collaborator uh, among other folks, but you we- know, a, an album like cold play everyday life. I don't know if that deserves an album of the year nomination, black pumas definitely deserving, but it's the deluxe edition of their album because it met the Grammy you know, uh, deadline after they were up for Best New Artist at the last Grammys. So that was a bit of a stretch. You know, it wasn't really a 2020 album per se. Nice to see Haim with their Women in Music Part 3 getting an Album of the Year nomination. And it was a big year for women overall with um, the Best Rock Performance category and the Best Country Album category, all women nominees. Back in 99, I think all but one of the nominees in those two categories were women. So it's not like it hasn't similarly happened before but um yeah you know this jacob collier guy was kind of came out of nowhere apparently he's a protege of quincy jones who has won pretty much more grammys than just about anybody else ever so when you're a protege of him you can kind of sneak in there even when your album doesn't reach the billboard 200 (laughs) the name
0: that jumped out to me just because she was huge right in the middle of of college yeah Uh, for me was fiona apple Yes. Coming out with, with some some Grammy nominations. So, uh, yeah, and that was a surprise the Bolt Cutters.
1: That got universal acclaim. I've never seen an album get just rave reviews from everybody, everywhere, and no album of the year nomination for her. So that was interesting, too. But Grammys are coming up uh, at the end of January, the 31st of January, 8 p.m. Trevor Noah, the host, 63rd annual Grammys. And uh, the nominations came out last week. So I thought we'd go over those. And who knows, maybe Kanye will storm the stage again. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll put a thread up on the
0: message board and just ask our, our fans, you know, which yes. snubs were you surprised by that sort of thing? Maybe their pick for album of the year, whether they're nominated or not. Let's just do that. What do you think? What do you think the album of the year was? Let's see what, yeah. what people say. And then, you know, we'll see, does football happen? Most likely will Boston college of Virginia, both have been good with it and then keep following basketball at the start here with, with all those choices they have to make. In the meantime, thanks for listening and go Hoos.